0: Chapter 16 of the Crimson Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crimson Fairy Book, edited by Andrew Lang. The Prince Who Would Seek Immortality. Once upon a time, in the very middle of the middle of a large kingdom, there was a town and in the town a palace, and in the palace a king. This king had one son whom his father thought was wiser and cleverer than any son ever was before, and indeed his father had spared no pains to make him so. He had been very careful in choosing his tutors and governors when he was a boy, and when he became a youth he sent him to travel, so that he might see the ways of other people, and find that they were often as good as his own. It was now a year since the prince had returned home, for his father felt that it was time that his son should learn how to rule the kingdom which would one day be his. But during his long absence the prince seemed to have changed his character altogether. From being a merry and light-hearted boy he had grown into a gloomy and thoughtful man. The king knew of nothing that could have produced such an alteration. He vexed himself about it from morning till night, till at length an explanation occurred to him. The young man was in love. Now the prince never talked about his feelings. For the matter of that he scarcely talked at all, and the father knew that if he was to come to the bottom of the prince's dismal face, he would have to begin. So one day, after dinner, he took his son by the arm and led him into another room, hung entirely with the pictures of beautiful maidens. "'each one more lovely than the other. "'My dear boy,' he said, "'you are very sad. "'Perhaps after all your wanderings "'it is dull for you here all alone with me. "'It would be much better if you would marry, "'and I have collected here the portraits "'of the most beautiful women in the world "'of a rank equal to your own. "'Choose which among them you would like for a wife, "'and I will send an embassy to her father "'to ask for her hand.' "'Alas, your majesty,' answered the prince, "'it is not love or marriage that makes me so gloomy, "'but the thought which haunts me day and night, "'that all men, even kings, must die. "'Never shall I be happy again till I have found a kingdom "'where death is unknown, "'and I have determined to give myself no rest "'till I have discovered the land of immortality.' "'The old king heard him with dismay,' Things were worse than he thought. He tried to reason with his son, and told him that during all these years he had been looking forward to his return, in order to resign his throne and its cares, which pressed so heavily upon him. But it was in vain that he talked. The prince would listen to nothing, and the following morning buckled on his sword and set forth on his journey. He had been travelling for many days, and had left his fatherland behind him, when close to the road he came upon a huge tree, and on its topmost bough an eagle was sitting shaking the branches with all his might. This seemed so strange and so unlike an eagle that the prince stood still with surprise, and the bird saw him and flew to the ground. The moment its feet touched the ground he changed into a king. "'Why do you look so astonished?' he asked. "'I was wondering why you shook the boughs so fiercely,' answered the prince. "'I am condemned to do this, for neither I nor any of my kindred can die till I have rooted up this great tree,' replied the king of the eagles. "'But it is now evening, and I need work no more to-day. Come to my house with me, and be my guest for the night.' "'The prince accepted gratefully the eagle's invitation, for he was tired and hungry.' They were received at the palace by the king's beautiful daughter, who gave orders that dinner should be laid for them at once. While they were eating, the eagle questioned his guest about his travels, and if he was wandering for pleasure's sake, or with any special aim. Then the prince told him everything, and how he could never turn back till he had discovered the land of immortality. "'Dear brother,' said the eagle, "'you have discovered it already.' "'and it rejoices my heart to think that you will stay with us. "'Have you not just heard me say that death has no power "'either of myself or any of my kindred "'till that great tree is rooted up?' "'It will take me six hundred years' hard work to do that. "'So marry my daughter and let us all live happily together here. "'After all, six hundred years is an eternity.' "'Ah, dear King,' replied the young man, "'your offer is very tempting.' But at the end of six hundred years we should have to die, so we should be no better off. No, I must go on till I find the country where there is no death at all. Then the princess spoke, and tried to persuade the guest to change his mind, but he sorrowfully shook his head. At length, seeing that his resolution was firmly fixed, she took from a cabinet a little box which contained her picture, and gave it to him, saying, as you will not stay with us prince accept this box which will sometimes recall us to your memory if you are tired of travelling before you come to the land of immortality open this box and look at my picture and you will be borne along either on earth or in the air quick as thought or swift as the whirlwind the prince thanked her for her gift which he placed in his tunic and sorrowfully bade the eagle and his daughter farewell Never was any present in the world as useful as that little box, and many times did he bless the kind thought of the princess. One evening it had carried him to the top of a high mountain, where he saw a man with a bald head, busily engaged in digging up spadefuls of earth and throwing them in a basket. When the basket was full he took it away and returned with an empty one, which he likewise filled. The prince stood and watched him for a little till the bald-headed man looked up and said to him dear brother what surprises you so much i was wondering why you were filling the basket replied the prince oh replied the man i am condemned to do this for neither i nor any of my family can die till i have dug away the whole of this mountain and made it level with the plain but come it is almost dark and i shall work no longer and he plucked a leaf from a tree close by, and from a rough digger he was changed into a stately bald-headed king. "'Come home with me,' he added. "'You must be tired and hungry, and my daughter will have supper ready for us.' The prince accepted gladly, and they went back to the palace, where the bald-headed king's daughter, who was still more beautiful than the other princess, welcomed them at the door and led the way into a large hall and to a table covered with silver dishes. While they were eating, the bald-headed king asked the prince how he had happened to wander so far, and the young man told him all about it, and how he was seeking the land of immortality. "'You have found it already,' answered the king. "'For, as I said, neither I nor my family can die till I have levelled this great mountain, and that will take full eight hundred years longer. Stay here with us and marry my daughter.' 800 years is surely long enough to live oh certainly answered the prince but all the same i would rather go and seek the land where there is no death at all so next morning he bade them farewell though the princess begged him to stay with all her might and when she found that she could not persuade him she gave him as a remembrance a gold ring this ring was still more useful than the box because when one wished oneself at any place one was there directly, without even the trouble of flying to it through the air. The prince put it on his finger, and, thanking her heartily, went his way. He walked on for some distance, and then he recollected the ring and thought he would try if the princess had spoken truly as to its powers. "'I wish I was at the end of the world,' he said, shutting his eyes." and when he opened them he was standing in a street full of marble palaces. The men who passed him were tall and strong, and their clothes were magnificent. He stopped some of them and asked in all the twenty-seven languages he knew what was the name of the city, but no one answered him. Then his heart sank within him. What should he do in this strange place if nobody could understand anything? he said. "'Suddenly his eyes fell upon a man dressed after the fashion of his native country, "'and he ran up to him and spoke to him in his own tongue. "'What city is this, my friend?' he inquired. "'It is the capital city of the Blue Kingdom,' replied the man. "'But the king himself is dead, and his daughter is now the ruler.' "'With this news the prince was satisfied, "'and begged his countrymen to show him the way to the young queen's palace.' The man led him through several streets into a large square, one side of which was occupied by a splendid building that seemed borne up on slender pillars of soft green marble. In front was a flight of steps, and on these the queen was sitting wrapped in a veil of shining silver mist, listening to the complaints of her people and dealing out justice. When the prince came up she saw directly that he was no ordinary man, and telling her chamberlain to dismiss the rest of her petitioners for that day, she signed to the prince to follow her into the palace. Luckily she had been taught his language as a child, so they had no difficulty in talking together. The prince told all his story and how he was journeying in search of the land of immortality. When he had finished the princess who had listened attentively, rose, and taking his arm, led him to the door of another room, the floor of which was made entirely of needles, stuck so close together that there was not room for a single needle more. "'Prince,' she said, turning to him, "'you see these needles? "'Well, know that neither I nor any of my family can die "'till I have worn out these needles in sewing. "'It will take at least a thousand years for that,' "'Stay here and share my throne. "'A thousand years is long enough to live.' "'Certainly,' answered he, "'still, at the end of the thousand years, "'I should have to die. "'No, I must find the land where there is no death.' "'The queen did all she could to persuade him to stay, "'but as her words proved useless, at length she gave it up. "'Then she said to him, "'As you will not stay,' "'take this little golden rod as a remembrance of me. "'It has the power to become anything you wish it to be "'when you are in need.' "'So the prince thanked her, "'and putting the rod in his pocket, went his way. "'Scarcely had he left the town behind him "'when he came to a broad river which no man might pass, "'for he was standing at the end of the world, "'and this was the river which flowed round it. "'Not knowing what to do next,' He walked a little distance up the bank, and there, over his head, a beautiful city was floating in the air. He longed to get to it, but how? Neither road nor bridge was anywhere to be seen, yet the city drew him upwards, and he felt that here at last was the country which he sought. Suddenly he remembered the golden rod which the mist-veiled queen had given him. With a beating heart he flung it to the ground, wishing that with all his might that it should turn into a bridge, and fearing that, after all, this might prove beyond its power. But no, instead of the rod there stood a golden ladder, leading straight up to the city of the air. He was about to enter the golden gates, when there sprang at him a wondrous beast, whose like he had never seen. "'Out, sword from the sheath!' cried the prince, springing back with a cry and the sword leapt from the scabbard and cut off some of the monster's heads, but others grew again directly, so that the prince, pale with terror, stood where he was, calling for help, and put his sword back in the sheath again. The queen of the city heard the noise and looked from her window to see what was happening. Summoning one of her servants, she bade him go and rescue the stranger and bring him to her. The prince thankfully obeyed her orders, and entered her presence. The moment she looked at him, the queen also felt that he was no ordinary man, and she welcomed him graciously, and asked him what had brought him to the city. In answer the prince told all his story, and how he had travelled long and far in search of the land of immortality. "'You have found it,' said she, "'for I am queen over life and over death. "'Here you can dwell among the immortals.' A thousand years had passed since the prince first entered the city, but they had flown so fast that the time seemed no more than six months. There had not been one instant of the thousand years that the prince was not happy till one night when he dreamed of his father and mother. Then the longing for his home came upon him with a rush, and in the morning he told the queen of the immortals that he must go and see his father and mother once more. THE QUEEN STARED AT HIM WITH AMAZEMENT, AND CRIED, "'WHY, PRINCE, ARE YOU OUT OF YOUR SENSES? IT IS MORE THAN EIGHT HUNDRED YEARS SINCE YOUR FATHER AND MOTHER DIED. THERE WILL NOT EVEN BE their DUST REMAINING.' "'I MUST GO ALL THE SAME,' SAID HE. "'WELL, DO NOT BE IN A HURRY,' CONTINUED THE QUEEN, UNDERSTANDING THAT HE WOULD NOT BE PREVENTED. "'WAIT TILL I MAKE SOME PREPARATIONS FOR YOUR JOURNEY.' So she unlocked her great treasure-chest, and took out two beautiful flasks, one of gold and one of silver, which he hung round his neck. Then she showed him a little trap-door in one corner of the room, and said, "'Fill the silver flask with this water, which is below the trap-door. It is enchanted, and whoever you sprinkle with the water will become a dead man at once, even if he had lived a thousand years. The golden flask you must fill with the water here.' she added, pointing to a well in another corner. "'It springs from the rock of eternity. You have only to sprinkle a few drops on a body, and it will come to life again, if it had been a thousand years dead.' The prince thanked the queen for her gifts, and bidding her farewell, went on his journey. He soon arrived in the town, where the mist-veiled queen reigned in her palace. But the whole city had changed, and he could scarcely find his way through the streets in the palace itself all was still and he wandered through the rooms without meeting any one to stop him at last he entered the queen's own chamber and there she lay with her embroidery still in her hands fast asleep he pulled at her dress but she did not waken then a dreadful idea came over him and he ran to the chamber where the needles had been kept but it was quite empty The queen had broken the last over the work she held in her hand, and with it the spell was broken too, and she lay dead. Quick as thought the prince pulled out the golden flask and sprinkled some drops of the water over the queen. In a moment she moved gently, and raising her head, opened her eyes. Oh, my dear friend, I am so glad you wakened me. I must have slept a long while. You would have slept till eternity, answered the prince, if I had not been here to waken you. At these words the queen remembered about the needles. She knew now that she had been dead, and that the prince had restored her to life. She gave him thanks from her heart for what he had done, and vowed she would repay him if she ever got the chance. The prince took his leave and set out for the country of the bald-headed king. As he drew near the place he saw that the whole mountain had been dug away, and that the king was lying dead on the ground, his spade and bucket beside him. But as soon as the water from the golden flask touched him he yawned and stretched himself, and slowly rose to his feet. "'Oh, my dear friend, I am so glad to see you,' cried he. "'I must have slept a long while.' "'You would have slept till eternity if I had not been here to waken you.' Answered the Prince, and the King remembered the mountain and the spell, and vowed to repay the service if he ever had the chance further along the road which led to his old home. The Prince found their great tree torn up by its roots, and the King of the Eagle sitting dead on the ground with his wings outspread as if for flight. A flutter ran through the feathers as the drops of water fell on them, and the eagle lifted his beak from the ground and said, "Oh, how long I must have slept." How can I thank you for having wakened me, my dear good friend? You would have slept till eternity if I had not been here to waken you, answered the prince. Then the king remembered about the tree, and knew that he had been dead, and promised, if ever he had the chance, to repay what the prince had done for him. At last he reached the capital of his father's kingdom, but on reaching the place where the royal palace had stood, Instead of the marble galleries where he used to play, there lay a great sulfur lake, its blue flames darting into the air. How was he to find his father and mother, and bring them back to life if they were lying at the bottom of that horrible water? He turned away sadly and wandered back into the streets, hardly knowing where he was going, when a voice behind him cried, "'Stop, Prince!' I have caught you at last. It is a thousand years since I first began to seek you. And there beside him stood the old, white-bearded figure of death. Swiftly he drew the ring from his finger, and the king of the eagles, the bald-headed king, and the mist-veiled queen, hastened to his rescue. In an instant they had seized upon death and held him tight, till the prince should have time to reach the land of immortality. But they did not know how quickly death could fly, and the prince had only one foot across the border when he felt the other grasped from behind, and the voice of death calling. Halt! Now you are mine! The Queen of the Immortals was watching from her window, and cried to death that he had no power in her kingdom, and that he must seek his prey elsewhere. Quite true! "'answered Death, but his foot is in my kingdom, "'and that belongs to me.' "'At any rate, half of him is mine,' replied the queen, "'and what good can the other half do you? "'Half a man is no use, either to you or to me, "'but this once I will allow you to cross into my kingdom, "'and we will decide by a wager whose he is.' "'And so it was settled.' Death stepped across the narrow line that surrounds the land of immortality, and the queen proposed the wager which was to decide the prince's fate. "'I will throw him up into the sky,' she said. "'Right to the back of the morning star, and if he falls down into this city, then he is mine. But if he should fall outside the walls, he shall belong to you.' In the middle of the city was a great open square, and here the queen wished the wager to take place. When all was ready, she put her foot under the foot of the prince, and swung him into the air. Up, up he went, high amongst the stars, and no man's eyes could follow him. Had she thrown him up straight? The queen wondered anxiously, for if not he would fall outside the walls, and she would lose him forever. The moment seemed long while she and death stood gazing up into the air, waiting to know whose prize the prince would be. Suddenly they both caught sight of a tiny speck, no bigger than a wasp, right up in the blue. Was he coming straight? No. Yes, but as he was nearing the city, a light wind sprang up, and swayed him in the direction of the wall. Another second, and he would have fallen half over it, when the queen sprang forward, Seized him in her arms and flung him into the castle. Then she commanded her servants to cast death out of the city, which they did with such hard blows that he never dared to show his face again in the land of immortality. End of the Prince Who Would Seek Immortality.